Father, I thank you for your word and this opportunity to preach your word and for each person who is here and give us ears to hear what you want to say to us. For your glory, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. I'm sure you heard this week that it was on Friday, the one year anniversary of this uh, terrible war that's happening in Ukraine. And there are people, uh, experts, who are worried that this spring will begin, we'll see a a new Russian offensive uh, in Ukraine. And this could be a pivotal moment in the war. And what is at stake in this war, of course, is the freedom of the country of Ukraine. But some people uh, are worried that it could be bigger than that. Some people worry that a Russian victory could lead to um, less freedom for other countries in Eastern Europe and even in Central Asia. So what's about to happen, according to these folks in the spring, is uh, something very pivotal, these battles that are coming up. Well, um, over 2,000 years ago, there was a battle in a dry wilderness between Satan and Jesus And the consequences of that battle were not political, but spiritual. And it wasn't a battle over earthly territory, but it was a battle that has to do with eternal salvation. And it's important for us to understand as we read about the temptation of Christ. And what's at stake here is our salvation. Because if Satan could tempt Jesus and get him to sin in the midst of that temptation, then he could disqualify Jesus from being our Savior. Jesus would be a sinner like us. And a sinner can't save sinners. But uh, because Jesus was victorious, we have a Savior, thanks be to Christ. And so what I want us to look at in these temptations is how Jesus is our Savior, how he is our victor, and how he is our example as we battle temptation. And so I just want to talk through these three temptations this morning. The first temptation that Jesus faced was to not trust his Father's will. It was an issue of trust, to not trust God the Father's will, but rather to take matters into his own hands. He had been fasting, Matthew tells us, for 40 nights and 40 days, and after the fast, he was hungry. Of course he was hungry. What happens to you? What happens to me after just skipping a couple of meals? We're hungry, or we're hangry, as they say. Jesus had gone 40 days and 40 nights without food. And so he's vulnerable because in his humanity, he's in a weakened state. Jesus, of course, was fully divine. We confess that. And he was also fully human. And as a human being, he got hungry, just like you and me. So Satan comes to him in a weakened, vulnerable state. And that is a lesson for us. If Jesus could be tempted in a weakened and vulnerable state, how much more are we tempted 
and can be vulnerable to failure when we are in a weakened state. When we're tired, when we're sick, when we're going through severe trials and difficulties, we can be vulnerable to the temptation of the enemy right here at this point to doubt the will of God, to doubt that God's will is good, to doubt that God in his way and in his time will provide for us. And therefore, we are tempted to take things into our own hands and go our own way rather than trusting God. And that is what Satan is tempting Christ to do here. If you are the son of God, and maybe there's a suggestion here, if you are the son of God, why would God leave you in this weakened state? If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And we know that Jesus had miraculous power to provide food in a miraculous way for people. We see that in the Gospels where he can take the five loaves and two fish and turn it into a feast for thousands of people. But the important thing to understand about Jesus and his miraculous power is he never used his power apart from his Father's will. And he didn't use it to satisfy himself. So Jesus fights Satan back with these words. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And there he's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Remember that God led the people out of Egypt and into the wilderness. And um, while they were there in the wilderness... They didn't have bread and they were tempted to doubt the goodness of God and God's provision. And so God promised that he would send manna from heaven and he provided for them miraculously. And yet even after God had provided for them, they still didn't completely believe God could take care of them. And they grumbled and they continued to complain in the wilderness. And it was 40 years in the wilderness that the people of Israel were tested, and often they failed the test to trust God's will. And so they complained and they murmured. And God said to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 8, and this is the passage that Jesus quotes from, He fed you with manna from heaven, which you did not know, that you might know that man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God will provide for you. But Israel failed to trust that promise. Now, Jesus here, after 40 days in the wilderness, does what Israel failed to do. He trusts the will of God. He trusts the promises of God. He lived by every word that proceeds from the mouth of his Father. And he calls us to do that. How about you and me? Are we in a place of weakness today? Are we in a place of vulnerability? Are we in a time of testing? Are we tired? Are we wearied? That's a place of vulnerability, friends. Are we tempted to take matters into our own hands and to doubt God's will is good for us? Are we tempted to turn away from the guidance that God provides for us in His Word? Friends, believe the words of Christ. 
Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Bread is temporary. Bread will give you temporary satisfaction. We need bread to live. But even more than bread, we need to know the will of God and to trust His Word. His Word is life. God's Word is eternal. God's Word can give us eternal life if we trust His promises. So that was the first temptation. The second temptation is to test God. If the first temptation had to do with not trusting God, the second temptation is to test God. The devil leads Jesus uh, to a, a pinnacle in the temple in Jerusalem. Some people say this is a visionary experience that Jesus had. Other people interpret it in a literal fashion. What matters is what happens here, whether it's a, a vision or something literal. It literally happened that Satan is testing Jesus in this way to test God. And he says to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. The devil says, Jesus is thinking, Jesus, if you want to quote scripture, I can quote scripture too. Did you know that? The enemy can quote scripture. Our spiritual enemy knows scripture. Just because somebody is teaching the Bible doesn't mean that they're teaching you the truth. You have to know scripture for yourself. You have to read it in context. You have to read it over and over and get it into your hearts and minds. Because the scripture can be twisted. And that's what Satan does here. He twists the word of God. And so what he's doing here is he's quoting from Psalm 91, but he's misapplying it. You can misquote scripture. You can misapply scripture. And this is a great tactic of the enemy. Psalm 91, he says, you know, if you throw yourself down, Jesus, the psalm says that God will send his angels and they will bear you up and your foot will not be strike against the stone. But Jesus fires back. It is written, you shall not put your, the Lord your God to the test. Psalm 91 promises that God will shelter those who are in trouble. It doesn't promise protection for those who go looking for trouble. Go looking for trouble in order to test God. In order to try to force God to prove himself. Somebody said, testing is not trusting. Testing is not faith. Testing is presumption. So, Satan is tempting Jesus to test God. If you're the Son of God, prove it. Prove it to yourself. Again, it goes back to not believing what God has said. Jesus is just coming out of the baptism, his baptism, where the Father declared from heaven, this is my beloved Son. This is my Son. If you are the Son of God, Satan is testing Jesus here. Prove it by throwing yourself down and let's see if your Father will rescue you. Friends, I wonder how we might be tempted to test God. God, if you don't show up in the way that I desire, I'm not going to believe in you. Or I'm not going to trust in you. Or if I don't see you at work in the way that I want to see you at work, in my life, in my family, in the church, then I'm not going to believe you're at work. You see. I read about a young man who spent all night, he was wrestling with faith, and he spent all night in prayer, and he 
He said, God, if you're real, I want to see something. Or at least feel something tangible. He spent the whole night in prayer. And he didn't see anything. And he didn't feel anything dramatically. And so he walked away. Now, God can answer those kinds of prayers. God can, we can experience God in a tangible, physical way sometimes. We can ask for that. And God, in his sovereign grace, can give us that if that's what we need, you see. But we don't say, if you don't do that, I'm not going to believe in you. If you don't come through in the way that I am demanding then I'm not going to trust you. Jesus said that a wicked generation asks for a sign. It's a wicked generation that demands a sign from God rather than trusting God's word, trusting the word of Christ. And so we're not to test God. God is the one who tests us. God is the one who allows us to go through testing. We're to trust God. We're to trust what God has revealed in Scripture and in Christ. So, the first temptation is not to trust God, not to trust God's goodness. The second temptation is, not to, is, is to test God, to try to force God to conform to our desires, to prove himself to us in a certain way, rather than taking him at his word. And the third temptation is simply idolatry. It's satanic idolatry. Satan shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he says, I'm going to give all this to you, Jesus, if you just fall down and worship me. And Jesus says, you shall not, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. You know, there's kind of a hidden lie in this deal that Satan is trying to strike with Jesus here. The lie is that Satan is ultimately in control of the kingdoms of this world. God is the one who's ultimately in control of all the world. But he's given Satan limited time and limited authority to influence the kingdoms of this world. And Satan can offer people glory, the glory of this world, for people who lust for glory or power or fame in this world. Satan can offer that to people through idolatry. But Jesus stands against it. You shall worship the Lord your God only. Many people point out that this third test, in this third test, Satan is trying to get Jesus to bypass the cross. Because God has promised to Christ a kingdom. He has promised to Christ that there will, he will be the king of a kingdom and that will encompass people from all over, every tribe, nation, and tongue. But the way to the kingdom for Christ is the cross. As people say, he, he can't get the, the crown until he goes through the cross, the way of suffering. His true glory is found in the cross. It's at the cross where we see the love of God. The mercy of God, the justice of God, the glory of God is displayed at Calvary. The salvation of the world is there. 
His true glory is at the cross. His true greatness is his humility. And he conquers the world and continues to conquer the world with his sacrificial love. Satan is saying, I can give you a shortcut. You don't have to go through the pain. You don't have to go through the humiliation. You don't have to make the sacrifice. And Jesus says, worship the Lord only. Not going to fall down to you. Satan comes along and offers a shortcut, and he does that with you and me. He whispers, I can give you glory. I can give you power. I can make you important. I can make you important and give you glory among your peers, in the church, online. That's not the way of the cross, friends. It's not the way of Christ. It's not the way of humble obedience and trust in God. It is a struggle. But it's a temptation that we have to resist with God's help. The glory of the kingdom of this world is the glory of the self. The glory of the kingdom of this world is the glory of the self. And when we glory in the self, that makes Satan smile. The glory of the kingdom of this world is the self. That's a great idol in our day. The glory of the kingdom of God is the glory of God. So are we living for the glory of ourselves in all that we do? Are we living for the glory of God, of Christ, who gave himself for us at the cross? We should fall down and worship God alone. Now, notice, I'm sure you noticed, and everybody points this out, that the way that Jesus counterattacks Satan is by quoting the word of God. And that is an example for us. What is Satan's main weapon? What is his main tactic? Is it a pitchfork? Goes around with the pitchfork? No. Is it making people, possessing people and making their heads spin around like you see in the Hollywood movies? No. Satan is much more subtle than that. His main weapon is lying. Is lying. The Bible says that he's a liar and he's the father of lies. And this weapon is very effective. Because God's word says one thing and then the world begins to say the exact opposite. Or he gets us to doubt what God has said very clearly in his word. You see it in Genesis, that passage that Caleb read. Did God really say, you surely won't die. God said, if you eat of this fruit, you will die. It's right there. And then Satan comes along and says, no, that's not going to happen if you eat this fruit. Because what God is, God is afraid of you. God wants to take away your potential. So you can free yourself from God. You won't die. That's the lie. And by freeing yourself from God, you will be like God. That's the other lie. So Satan operates by lying. And so what we need to be is like Jesus who knows the truth of God's word so that we won't take the bait of Satan's lie. It's like fishing. Some of you know that I, I, I try to fly fish at least. And I've been getting into this hobby of fly fishing. When I have a chance, I'll go out and fly fish 
ideally in a stream, in the woods somewhere. And what I've learned, a little bit I've learned about fly fishing is this, that the small fish, generally speaking, it's the small young fish that you can catch easily. There's these big fat fish that are hard to fool. There's a reason they're big and fat. And maybe they've been caught a time or two. And so they're a lot more wary. And so you throw that fly out there and these big fish will come up and they'll take a look. But if it doesn't look right, if it's not natural, if it doesn't look natural, if it's not even drifting natural with the stream, much to my chagrin, they will turn around or turn down and go the other way. That's why I haven't caught a lot of big fish. It's an art to this. But the little guys are just hungry and naive and they sometimes get into a little frenzy and they'll gobble stuff up. They're easy to fool. I want you and me to be like the fat fish. I want us to be like fat fish. Yes, we've been caught a time or two by Satan's lies. But that has made us more wary. And that has made us more in tune to what is real. And we are people who know the Word of God. Who live by the Word of God. Who teach the Word of God to our children and to our grandchildren. Who share the Word of God with our friends. Because we don't want them caught by Satan's lies. And it's not just... Notice, it's not just that Jesus is in a, you know, he doesn't win this battle just by out-quoting Satan. He wins this battle by obeying the word of God. By obeying the will of his Father. And so Christ has shown us the way, and Christ will help us to know the truth, and by his strength to obey the truth. And even more than that, Christ has done for us what we can never do. He lived a sinless, perfect life. And by his death and resurrection, he defeated Satan. And he won for you, friends, forgiveness and victory over death. Don't forget that. Yes, the battle is real. The temptations are strong. We stumble. We fall. Sometimes we take the bait. We have a victor in Jesus Christ. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He offers you forgiveness today, and as you come to Him in your weakness, we have a high priest who has, was tempted in every way like we were, the writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews 4, you have a high priest who is tempted in every way like you were, but without sin. Therefore, you can approach the throne of grace with confidence and gain strength when you need help. Because by His Spirit, He's there to strengthen you. He's gone through the battles. He's won the victory. And He will strengthen you by His grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. And thank You for Your Son, Jesus Christ. And thank You, Lord Christ, for Your victory over our great enemy. We could never stand against Him. In our own strength, we would be obliterated. But in you, we have the victory. And through your strength, by your spirit, and because of your example, we know a way to stand firm in the midst of temptation. Help me and help us to do that for your glory and honor. Amen.